You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and, and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out. And the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Before we get rolling here today, let's hear from our sponsor. Bear Vault has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry this season. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. Proper food storage is one key to an epic trip in the backcountry. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash bear vault to check out this must-have solution for the outdoors now. You support this podcast and your safety this season by clicking through that link right now. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing, Darren? Dang good. How are you, Dave? Good, good. Glad to have you back on the show. Uh, we did an episode in the not too uh, distant past where we we kind of uh, introduced you to everybody out here on Stillwater. You're helping. You've been behind the scenes helping set up this awesome trip out to that neck of the woods around like the Henry's Fork area. And uh, and you're. I think today are you now are you at the lodge that we're going to be probably going to? I am. I'm actually sitting at uh, in one of the cabins at the Pines is the the name of the lodge here in Island Park. Yeah, so you're at the Pines. So tell us right now, let's straight up because we're gonna today we're giving away. You know, this is part of the week where we're giving away this massive, amazing trip and a bunch of gear. So, and one of those things is going to be a person's going to be staying at this lodge. So, so describe it. What do you see in there? Oh, I'm sitting right here. The very first thing I see is about a seven-pound cutthroat hybrid that came out of Henry's Lake. No way. Yeah, that's my playground. So this is good. Yeah, this is this is a cool place. Nice log cabin, leather furniture, TVs. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's not really what you'd call a fishing camp <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's nice. way nice. Yeah, it's way nice. Amazing, amazing. This is good. So I'm excited already. This is great, Ed. And we did an episode recently with uh, one of the owners of the lodge, and we really dug into the history. The cool thing about that place is is it's got a ton of history. I mean, the Island Park area has this amazing – the story is about literally this 30-mile-long section. It's only a 1,000 feet wide town. It's this really unique part of right. So I think anybody who's going to win this trip is going to be pretty much blown away. And on top of that, we're going to be fishing – some of the greatest still water out in that area. And we're going to have you on as a guide. Well, as a, you know, basically you're, you're our, you're our pro ambassador for this thing. And then we're also going to have Phil Roy on to be, you know, basically helping dig into some stuff. So Phil's been on this, he's got his podcast here, the littoral zone. So most people have heard of him. Let's talk about you. And then we'll talk about maybe how you do things a little bit differently on still water. So first give us a quick intro for those that missed that last episode. Who are you and how did you come to know this part of Idaho? Oh, yeah. I was born and raised just south of us here, down just outside of Idaho Falls. And I was lucky enough to have a dad that loved the outdoors. And so as a young kid, I just, you know, I was basically a shadow. I followed him everywhere. And he was a fly tire. He was a fly fisherman. And so that stuff was just, you know, second nature to me growing up and, you know, grew up right on the banks of the Snake River. And so I I had a childhood that, uh, yeah, most people would envy. Right. Uh, so cool. And and then when, remind us again on that too, the fishing, we'll put a link to that episode that we did, uh, but how long have you been doing the Stillwater thing out there? Oh my gosh. You know, what got me into Stillwaters, Dave, is I love big fish and, you know, Stillwaters just provides a bigger fish. I mean, in this area, we've got some of the most 
world-renowned trout streams. We've got the Henry's Fork, the Teton River, the Madison, South Fork of the Snake. You know, the list goes on and on. But we've also got some great stillwaters. And growing up, my my main love was fishing for salmon and steelhead. I just, like I said, I love big fish. And when we lost our, you know, basically our salmon and steelhead runs into, into the part of Idaho that I'm from, I uh, you know, we searched for big fish and that's how what got me into stillwaters is the fish are just bigger in the stillwaters. Right. That's awesome. So that's it. So then that's why I think most of the people probably who are going to be signing up for this trip and are going to be coming here because, you know, I, well, and we've talked a little, little bit about the background. We're not going to dig into all the specific lakes and maybe we're not going to throw names out there today, but I really want to talk about kind of what you do in that part of the area. So people know how you catch fish there. So and today we maybe we'll have a list of some top tips, you know, as far as still water and, and all and all that. So so take us back real quick. Like where do you start? If somebody's listening now and they're thinking, Oh man, I really want to up my still water game. If you had a list of tips, where do you start? Like say top ten things. What are you telling somebody? You know what? The number one thing when I teach my clinics or when I've got guys that are just one on one or one on two, the number one thing I notice is their casting skills. The biggest difference between still waters and, and river and stream fishing is, you know, if I'm in a if I'm in a drift boat or I'm just wade fishing and, and catching the riffles and such, I'm throwing a floating line and I don't need to cast a long distance. I mean, you know, it, it's almost counterproductive if you're casting long on rivers and streams unless you're throwing streamers or something like that. And on still waters, not being able to cast a good distance is a severe handicap. It just it handicaps the water that you can cover. So yeah, that's probably the number one thing that I would say and and in the, you know, the tip section that we're going to have of this this giveaway, that's the number one thing on my list is learn how to cast. You know, if you don't need to to be a grandmaster and be able to double haul and throw 100 feet, that's that's not what you need, but you need to be able to throw farther than 30 or 40 feet like most guys that fish rivers and streams. So that would be my first thing is make sure that you can cast that way you know, when you get on the water, you're not having to teach somebody how to cast instead of let's go, let's go catch fish. But yeah, that's, that's probably the number one thing. Okay. Yeah. The casting and, and the wind too, is part of it too. A lot of these still waters like casting into the wind. Is that something you should be thinking about? Oh, most certainly. And I don't, you know, generally speaking, we all love those days out there when it's just glassy and no wind. The problem is, is that's the worst conditions that we can have for fishing on still waters. Right. Because when we do that, I mean, it's it's kind of like you walking around in your house. You know, if you've got all your blinds open and the lights are on and, uh, you know, everybody can see in, well, you're pretty careful about what you're doing. And those fish are the same way. When it's calm and clear, uh, you know, their shades and their drapes are open and, you know, they're more susceptible to predation and different things like that. So, yeah, we like that little bit of wind. And when we get that wind, it makes it tougher to cast. And so that just adds into that, you know, making it tougher to cast on still waters. So, you know, and, and that's the reason that we use a little bit heavier rod. You know, most guys are going to use a six or a seven weight rod, which is, you know, I'm not going to say it's heavy in the trout game, but it's, it's definitely not a four or a five weight. But that's mostly because of casting into that dang wind. Okay, that's great. And so, Kat, and what would be a... What would be something you tell somebody if they're struggling with casting into the wind? How do they get, is that the double haul or is there other things they can think about? You know, the, the number one problem most people have with their casting is timing. They just don't wait for that line to load their rod on their back cast. That's the number one thing is, you know, I'm constantly telling people you got to wait just a little bit longer, you know, keep your rod tip. If you keep that rod tip at 11 o'clock going back. Uh, I guess it would be one o'clock if you're looking at it that way, you know, but keep it high because that, that line is going to follow what your rod tip does. Oh yeah. So keep your hand high, keep the rod tip high. Exactly. Exactly. If you keep that rod tip high on your back cast, then you're not going to be slapping the water behind you with your fly. You know, and then another problem that a lot of people make is they point the rod tip on the cast. They point it at the water instead of you know, several feet above where they want their line to hit so that it doesn't dump on them. Uh, I don't know how many times I, you know, I, I still do it. I get in a hurry and, and fire that cast and point my rod at where I want my line to land instead of above it. So my line will, will unloop and drop down in a straighter line. Wow. That's a, that's a super tip. Yeah. We were, it reminds me, we were just up on the Skeena at Brian Niska's lodge and uh, the last day we broke out the 
the long belly, the full like 15 foot competition spay rod. And, you know, in that one, it was the same thing. You brought it back and I made some casts and, you know, and the good casts are the same thing. He said, when you go back, look up and look up at that eagle's nest behind you and point your rod up there, arm side. And then when you shoot out, shoot out, point towards some area towards the horizon, like get some, like let it shoot out. And it's kind of the same with single, right? You you want it to shoot out there a bit. Most certainly stop that rod at 10 o'clock on your cast and, and that way your line will shoot out above the water and then fall down on. And that falls right into right into line with with one of my my favorite tips, and that's to keep that straight contact line from the minute you start your countdown to when you start your retrieve. You know, this morning I was out fishing on Henry's Lake, and uh, we get lazy sometimes. You know, I make my cast and I I give it a couple of strong strips to make sure that I get all my line from my fly to my rod tip in a straight line. And then, you know, and then I, I start my countdown. I look at my watch and if I'm giving it 30 seconds, then I, you know, I don't cheat myself. If I'm, if I'm counting it in my brain, I either forget or I, I do it too fast. And so I've got a little wristwatch and I, I look down at my stopwatch and, and so I know that I'm counting it down 30 seconds. But in the time that 30 seconds that that fly falls, you know, we're docking off and everything else in this morning, my second cast I'm gawking off at the skyline because the clouds was just gorgeous at sunrise and and had a fish take it on the fall, you know, and I wasn't ready for it. And, it, you know, it just there's so many people that will make that cast out and then just let it sit there while it's sinking down. And if you don't have a straight contact to that fly, those fish can pick it up on the fall and you don't even have an idea that it's happened. So that straight contact line is so imperative to, to success. Today's episode is sponsored by Chota Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Chota insists on the finest materials and craftsmanship you can assure you have the highest standards of quality. You'll feel in control of the elements in your Chota gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects. Head over to wetflyswing.com Chota right now. That's Chota, C-H-O-T-A, to support this podcast and the Chota Outdoor family right now. So that's it, getting it down to the right zone. Then once you kind of figure out that zone, then you're kind of on. You at least know where those fish are feeding. Is that kind of how it works when you count? Like if you said 25 down, now you kind of would always go back to that 25 and see if they're feeding there? You bet. The most important thing, I think, to any stillwater fly fisherman is to know the depth of the water that you're fishing. Because without knowing that depth, I mean, you're basically guessing at where those fish are. Uh, so if you know your depth, either using your fish finder or your sounder or, you know, even even a, a piece of weight on a line and drop it down and, and measure it out. But it's imperative to know what your depth is uh, because that way you, you can count your fly down uh, and be consistent with your presentation to those fish. If I count it down in 30 feet or for 30 seconds, if, you know, depending on the fly line, you know, there's so many variations that come into that and it's, that's a rabbit hole all its own. But uh, just for example, most of the lakes that we fish around here, we're going to be fishing in less than 10 feet of water. There are exceptions to that, but most of that allows us to use either a hover or an intermediate line. Now, a hover is going to sink at about one inch per second. An intermediate is going to sink anywhere from one and a half to two inches per second. So you can get that down if you're in 10 feet of water. You're going to count that down. And a lot of people got to remember that it's not just the fly line we're counting down. We're also counting down our bug because if we're using a bigger bug, that bug's going to sink faster than what our fly line does. And so it doesn't do any good if we're counting down 30 seconds to get our fly line down in the zone of the fish if our fly is already laying in the moss. So you got to, you know, you got to, there's so many variations as far as leader length and leader size and whether we're running one fly or two fly, you know, you just, that's part of that puzzle that you've got to work out. I love Stillwater puzzles. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what we're going to be solving the puzzle uh, today on some of this uh so how was Henry's? I mean, that is a lake we might actually fish when we're out there. Take us there a little bit today. What did that look like? Were there a few people fishing? Yeah, today uh, it was a challenge. The fun thing about Henry's is those fish can turn onto a bug. And if that hatch or that bug that they're keyed on will stick around for a while, we have a pretty good time for a couple of weeks. But these fish up here can be so fussy that you can find a bug one day and the next day they don't want it anything to do with it and so every day and this is no different with a lot of still waters is every day you have a little bit of a puzzle to figure out 
you know, this morning I made 26 bug changes. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Every one that I take off, I put in my, on my, I've got a, one of my uh, Montana flight company boxes has got a, a foam fish on the front of it. And so I start with a clean slate and, and as soon as I change a bug, I put it on the fish and, and uh, I had 26 of them this morning. That's pretty cool. It's frustrating. I, I usually only give a bug about six casts. And in some of our lakes up here, they can be so keyed on one bug that it just, they, it doesn't matter what you put in front of them. If it's not what they want, they can be as selective as any stream fish, whether it's on the Henry's Fork or the Madison, they can be every bit as selective as that. And so part of that puzzle is figuring out what those fish are going to eat. Gotcha. Okay. And are you, and what is the typical technique and flies you're using here? I know you do some streamer stuff. Do you do a mix of things out there? I do. I do. I start, you know, generally speaking on most still waters in the early in the morning before the sun comes up, you can get away with the larger patterns. Uh, you know, your, your crystal buggers and uh, woolly buggers, you know, your bigger patterns as far as that goes. Now, once the sun comes up, a lot of times the fish will change and they want something a little bit smaller or a little, you know, something more specific to what they are, are keying on. You know, it's, it's funny because I can have fish working all over me. And going through and trying to find the bugs. And I had a guy tell me one time, it's kind of like when you go to a mall at Christmas time and you're looking for your wife or your kid and you're, you're searching just for them. And you right. got people walking all the way around you, but it's not the ones you're looking for. And so, yeah. you know, you can have all kinds of hatches coming off, be throwing all kinds of bugs at these fish. And unless it's the one they want, it just can be really frustrating. Right. But once wow. you find it, once you find it, then the reward to solving that puzzle is just, yeah, it's so fun. Wow. So today, those 26, did you find it today or did were you still searching? I did. But, you know, today it was fun because I would find a bug and I'd catch one or two fish on it. And then it was like they didn't want anything else to do with it. And so, you know, after a dozen casts, I'd, I'll switch to another bug. And, you know, in a couple of bugs later, I'd, I'd hook another fish. And then all of a sudden I think, okay, maybe this is the one. And then they didn't want anything to do with it. So, it, again, it's fish are very opportunistic. And so they will eat something that is a food source that, that interests them. But if they're not keyed on it, it can just be really frustrating. Yeah, gosh. So they weren't. So today, they weren't really keyed on any, like a big hatch or anything today. Yeah, there wasn't. You know, we're right at the end of our season where our hatches are pretty much petering off, and so, you know, we're waiting for these fish to turn on and start feeding for the fall. And uh, it's gonna happen right here quick. They'll uh, they'll realize this water's getting colder, and they know what that means. And so. And my favorite fish in the world is the brook trout here at Henry's Lake, and, and in the fall is when they spawn, and so their colors right now are just phenomenal, and they fight like, I don't know, they've got some Satan DNA in them. Yeah. They really pull hard. That's amazing. Wow. So, so yeah, so, and then I guess this is right now, as we're talking, it's kind of um, early, or what is it now? Yeah, it's September, so, but the trip we're likely going to be doing will be, I think, in earlier, maybe early to mid-July, so there's a big difference. There must be the period, what, August, where things kind of shut down, it gets hot. Does that happen over there? Yeah, it gets warm. The fun thing about a lot of our lakes up here is we're at such an altitude that we don't really have to worry about our, our water getting too warm, and most of our lakes up here are they have a lot of springs that help, you know, supplement their flows. And so that's the fun thing about Henry's is we can get surface temperatures that'll, you know, push that 70 degree mark. But we've got so many areas in that lake that we can fish that where the springs are, it keeps that water down in that 60 to 62 range. So it's that's just perfect for those trout. Okay. And you mentioned clinics uh, before. Have you done, like, talk about your clinics. What does that look like? How is that different from, say, you know, um, I don't know, a guide trip or any other thing out there? Sure. Well, the, the main difference between my clinics and a guided trip is when you're with a guide, a guide isn't supposed to be fishing. Uh, during my clinics, I get to fish right along with my client. Oh, wow. There you go. If you're like me, if I go out with somebody and he's teaching me something new, one of the best things that I can do is to watch him. Oh, right. See what he's doing. You know, watch how he casts. Watch how he, you know, what he does. Like I said, Stillwater is just such a different animal than fishing on a river or stream. Uh, one of my other tips is watch your rod position. You know, when we're on a river or a stream, our rods are generally always in the up position. You know, you're making 
making a good presentation, you're you're trying to mend that line, you're keeping the line off the water by keeping that rod tip high. In a still water situation, it's it's completely the opposite. Because we want that straight contact line from our fly back to our rod tip, our rods are in the water or right on the tip of the water. And that makes it so that we can feel better and also see better those takes. So, yeah, that's very, very important to have our rod tip down. And the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is the way we set the hook. You know, a guy that's that's coming from a river or a stream environment is going to do that trout set, you know, raise that rod tip and, and get that hook into him. Well, when we're using a sinking line and it's underneath the water doing a trout set or riding that, that rod tip, it's just really tough to get the hook in a fish lifting that much line out of the water and still we're strip setting which is just basically hand in hand with the way that we're retrieving you know you feel a fish or you feel something different you just give it a little quick strip and if it's a fish then the rod tip raise or the trout set is kind of step two of hooking our fish so you strip set first and then the rod tip raise right 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 and, that, and are you going to be doing that let's like today, when you were sinking those flies down for 30 seconds, what were you fishing, like a little nymph or a pupa, or what was the pattern? Yeah, starting this morning, I was using an olive crystal, which is just kind of an, a woolly bugger uh, with a little bit more shine in it. And yeah, I'd make my cast and let that, where I was fishing, I was fishing in seven feet of water. So I was letting it sink down to about 25 seconds, and then I'd start my retrieve. And, you know, one thing that Phil Raleigh teaches, and it's it's perfect, is the DRP, Depth Pattern Retrieve. Or I think Phil teaches it Depth Retrieve Pattern. Uh, and either way, that retrieve is so important, but so is the depth. But when you get it down and then start playing with the retrieves, you know, generally speaking, I just do a about an 8-inch strip, pulling it in. Uh, if that doesn't work, then I'll do it a little bit slower. Or then I'll do a series of three little short bursts and let it pause. You know, most of the time, the fish is going to take that fly on the pause, not when it's moving. And so the pause part of a strip or a retrieve for a fly fisherman on a stillwater is really, really important. That pause, you know, if you if you work yep. that pause into it, yeah, a lot of times that's when those fish will take it. Gotcha. Okay. And is are they ever taking, are you ever doing a super fast strip on these guys? Yeah, depending on your water conditions, depending on how the fish want it as far as your strip, you know, how what speed will they do it? I mean, it's always fun when you can speed it up because then when they hit it, there's there's zero doubt that it's a fish. And a lot of that has to do with the pattern that you're using. If I'm using a small bait fish pattern, you bet we're zipping about you know, pretty quick. But we gotta remember that there's not a lot of critters in as far as bug life in still waters that move very fast. You know, we've got our bait fish and some of the leeches can move pretty quick. Some of the dragonfly nymphs can move pretty quick. But for the most part, they're pretty slow movers. Yeah, that's right. Wow, this is great. So, and so Henry's is kind of known for it. It, it. it can get large fish, right? Some pretty big fish. Oh, you bet. Yeah, you can get fish in the double digits. Yep. And are there, how many other lakes are around that area? If you were to drive around within, say, an hour, there's lots? Oh, my with yeah within an hour of where i'm from in idaho falls if you if you took an hour and a half uh, no matter which way you went you've got still waters all over the place if you go down south you've got daniels reservoir you've got chesterfield you've got 24 mile if you go west you got mackie reservoir now mackie reservoir which is one of my favorite still waters up here but they just lost the control of one of their head gates and so they have to drain that complete reservoir this year and it's going to kill that fishery for about four or five years and it just breaks my heart oh wow yeah yeah that's sad however it'll you know it'll come back in a few years and and but then if you go north you've got clark canyon reservoir you've got henry's you've got hebgen lake you've got uh greeby lake you've got cliff and wade lake over into montana so we've just yeah, we've got a plethora of really good world-class stillwaters up here. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So, and you do a lot of the streamer stuff, so like woolly buggers and bigger things. I mean, what would be a, is a woolly bugger, would that be a big streamer? What other streamer type flies do you use? Yeah, a, a woolly bugger, a lot of times if you're going to use some of your, your minnow imitations, I love uh, the one that Cheech down at Fly Fish Food come up with the baby fat minnow. Uh, that's one of my favorites as far as on stillwaters. You know, we've got so many bait fish in here, and I think a lot of times the stillwater guys miss that a little bit because we're trying to concentrate on the bugs that are hatching instead of going after some of that bait fish and 
and of course leeches are you know that's the, the standby for any stillwater dive. Yeah. What is the deal with leeches? So leeches are these things, you know, in the black woolly bugger and there's things that imitate. I mean, is it actually like what type of leech? This is just a, I mean, there must be like many, many species of leeches. Is this a pretty common type of, it's not the, it's not the blood sucking leech, right? Oh yeah, you bet. There, In fact, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I had a couple of my grandkids up here and they were playing down on the beach while I was out fishing. And yeah, when we got back in, they had several leeches that they had peeled off them and put in a cup because they wanted to know what they are. Uh, all the all of the, the bathrooms, the restrooms up here have got a big sign. There are leeches in this lake. Oh, so yeah, so these leeches will will suck your blood. Yeah, oh yeah, they they'll stick on you, but uh, they are the most. They're probably the the widely you know next to a chronomed. Leeches are probably the most abundant food source for a fish year round. Oh right. You know when it when the lake freezes over, there are still scuds and leeches and and you know all the the little nymphs, the dragonflies, the damsels that are moving around. So they have plenty to eat that way. But yeah, leeches are definitely a staple. And if I only have one pattern to fish a stillwater with, it's going to be yeah a real sparsely tied black and blue leech. Ooh, black and blue leech, right, right, like, like just just chenille and, and hackle sort of thing. No, it's actually it's a Arizona semi seal. Oh, semi seal. Uh, makes yeah. it black and blue. Yeah, Phil calls his pattern the bruised leech, and it does black and blue. That's it. It does, but that that blue has a little bit of shine to it, and those fish, uh, yeah, I mean trout in general, that that black color is is a good color. That's really cool. So, Phil, this is pretty awesome because, you know, this week we've got a great week because we're it's all Stillwater Week and you're going to be – you're on. Phil's also going to be on talking about stuff. Talk about how you know Phil as well as anybody probably as far as his game and what he teaches. How is what you do different from, like, how Phil does it? Well, Phil, the thing I admire about Phil is he is so well-rounded. I mean, you put him in any fishing situation and he's going to figure it out. Uh, my favorite way to fish still waters is to cast and retrieve. Now I'm not saying that indicator fishing doesn't have its place because holy cow, it is the most effective way there is to fish still waters, I believe. And I'll tell you what, when I take my grandkids out, there is nothing better than watching that indicator go down. I mean, it, it takes me back to the old red and white barber days when I was a kid, you know? Right. So yeah, that, I mean, there's a thrill to that, but to me, getting your fly down underneath the surface and retrieving it, that's the way that I like to fish. That's the way that I teach. I'm not saying that indicator fishing isn't a way, you know, a good way to fish the waters because it is. I mean, you, you know, we go down to Pyramid Lake all, all winter long and, and that's a, a very good way to catch fish down there. But stripping, you know, to me, the tug is the drug and to be able to, to feel that fish take or to be able to, to me, the, the best thing is to figure out when a fish takes it and you don't feel it. You know, are you seeing it or are you just recognizing that your line all of a sudden feels just like it's a little, a little heavier than a normal retrieve? Right. Like they're just kind of like just barely touching it, like just checking it out. Exactly. Yep. In my opinion, the difference between a good stillwater fisherman and an exceptional stillwater fisherman is those guys that are really good at it are able to recognize those subtle takes. Mm. Dave, I would bet probably half of my takes, I see my line move before I feel the tug. Otherwise, when you make your cast and you start retrieving, every time you retrieve and you pause, your line pauses, which gives you the little S's in your line. Now, a lot of people say, well, you gotta get those S's out of your line as quick as you can because you're not gonna feel that fish. That's true, you're not, but you're not ever going to be able to keep them out of your line completely on a retrieve. And so what you need to do is watch that line. There are so many times that those little S's will straighten out on my pause, and that's when I know that fish has picked it up. And so my strip is basically my hook set. And so watching it, I would say probably 30% of my hookups come from seeing my line move rather than feeling that tug of the fish taking it and turning. Gotcha. So you're stripping in, you're stripping whatever strip you're doing and, and you're getting the S and if the line, if you see the line straighten out, that's a good chance that's a fish. 
Oh, most certainly. You bet. If I see that line straighten out, I'm stripping fast because most certainly that's probably a fish that just made it do that. And most people, you know, you're stripping in and you're you're feeling for those fish and pretty soon you're gawking around and you're watching the pelicans and you're watching the groobies and, you know, and <laughs> all of a sudden you, you feel that just that little teeny slight tug and you give it a strip set and you feel that fish just as he's gone because you didn't see him when he first picked it up. So if you if that fish first picks it up, that line is going to move. It's got to. Something is making it move. And if you're watching it, you'll see those fish pick that that bug up. Wow. What type of uh, what's your leader length and like for like the Henrys that you're fishing there today? How long and what were you using there? Generally speaking, the the shallower or the clearer my water is, the longer my leaders are. My leaders at Henrys will be anywhere from eleven to fifteen feet. And that is just for a single bug. If I'm going to throw a dropper and I don't fish droppers an awful lot, I generally fish a single fly. But if I'm going to fish a dropper, then I'm going to lengthen that out to 15 to 18 feet maybe because I want my first fly to be about nine feet from where my fly line and my leader join. And then I want at least another five feet or six feet between my first fly and my second fly so that I'm not – alarming fish by having two flies close together but also it allows those flies to work the way they're supposed to yeah wow you want that movement yeah you got to have that movement and if you've got them too close together or on a too short of a dropper they're just not going to move the way they're supposed to very cool so okay yeah we're on so we got the leader we got the flies and and like you're saying so i mean it's pretty straightforward then you lines you mentioned there's the intermediate and then the hover is the the line that's which one sinks a little faster which one's the faster seeker yeah the hover is the slowest it's about an inch per second and the intermediate and you know a lot of different manufacturers make that intermediate and it sinks anywhere from one and a half to two inches i usually use my intermediate as my two inch per second line okay and that's that's another another really good point. You know, that's that's one thing that a lot of guys and I see I see a lot of people throwing floating lines or sinking tips, which has got a floating line and a floating running line. And then, you know, the sinking portion of the tip with my fishing, with the with what I, I teach as far as that goes, I want people to use at least a hover so that they can get their line underneath that surface chop. Like we mentioned before, we've got wind. And if you've got wind and you've got a fly line that is sitting on top of that that water, the wind is going to create a belly in that. And that's going to make it tougher for you to feel when a fish picks that bug up. And so with the hover, the thing that I like about it most is it's very similar to a, a floating line in that it it stays real close to the surface. But at the same time, it gets under the surface so that that wind doesn't create that belly in your fly line. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you don't use a dry line very often out there? I do not. I haven't had a dry line on in almost two years. The last time I had a dry line on fishing stillwaters is uh, two years ago, we caught a day up on Hebgen when they were gulping. And we oh, had yeah. a blast throwing little atoms. <laughs> All right. And they ate them up. It was a blast. It was like, I, yeah, that's the best day of dry fly <laughs> fishing I've ever had on a lake. Nice. And so in July, what's it going to be like there? Is that going to be, um, what's the fishing going to be? Is there going to be some hatches? Oh, we're going to have a blast. Yeah, the first two days of this school, and this is something that that folks need to know. The first two days of the school, we are going to spend on a private ranch uh, called Sheridan Creek Ranch. And they have got a lake out there that is a natural lake. Uh, it was enhanced by a dam that that made it so that the water would stay deeper over the winters. But they have done some really good work on that ranch as far as the restoring everything. It was an old cattle ranch, and they that's exactly how they ran it. You know, trout, that wasn't even an afterthought with those guys. Well, the current owner came in and, and really wanted to, to make it – a special place and he he's done that this lake that we're going to get a fish uh they put rainbows in it and it's yeah we have a really good time we'll be able to teach the basics of almost any type of stillwater fishing on this lake because it's got so many different depths that we can teach different types of techniques and different things like that so we spend two days there on sheridan lake and catch rainbows and it's fun because to me, those rainbows are a little bit easier to catch than at Henry's. But uh, what we'll do is we'll we'll spend a couple of days, uh, you know, honing everybody's skills and teaching them the basics and, and the important things. And then we'll uh, maybe take them out of the 
so-called batting cages and yeah. put them up against a real pitcher and we'll take them over to Hebden or Henry's Lake or Island Park Reservoir and let them try it on tough fish. I mean, that's that's what we want is we want people that when they, they come to these schools, when they're done, they can go back home and they can go to their lakes and they're going to look at them in a completely different light. Right. Exactly. You know, now you can go to any lake and you can pull up and you can say, okay, I don't know this lake, but I know how to start. You know, I'm going to look at my vegetation and I'm going to know that the bugs that live in still waters are masters at camouflage. And so if I look around and most of my vegetation is an olive color, that's going to be where I'm going to start with my bug covers because they're going to match their vegetation. If it's more of a brownish color, then I'm going to start with brown bugs. So, yeah, that's, you know, and, and people will be able to take what they learn at this school and utilize those things in any stillwater situation that they come across. Nice. Yeah, and we're going to be out there. Uh, well, I guess, you know, and Phil obviously is going to be there too. I'm not sure exactly how many people we will have there, but typically, or how will this work? Will there be people coming up um, bringing their boats or will we have boats? Or how is that going to look? Yeah, well, this, as we know, this is an advanced stillwater course. So these are guys that you bet if they've got a boat, we want them to bring it. If they've got pontoons, we want to bring that. If they've okay. got, you know, whatever they use to fish their stillwaters, that's what we want to teach them. You know, I, I am like Phil. I, I love fishing out of a pontoon or a float tube, but my favorite is from an anchored boat. I've got a little 16 foot that I just, yeah, that's, that's what I love to fish out of. Yeah, you got the anchor, so you got the double anchor going, and you sit, and that's what you do. You you yep. sit out there, similar to Phil. You'll find a spot where you find some fish, and you you'll sit there and hang there and anchor up, and then just fish to them. You bet. Find the habitat. You know, right now that's what we're doing at Henry's is find your weed beds. Those fish, that's their grocery store. That's what their bugs live in is all the weeds. You know, a lot of people, it's funny because we have Facebook pages around here about Henry's, you know, and one of the big questions is, how's the weeds? Can we still troll? Well, oh. we love the weeds because. Oh, they keep the trollers out. Yeah, well, it, it's not that they keep the trollers out. It's just that they make it so that it makes it tougher on the trollers. But that's, a you know, that's what we want. We want those weed islands and those those lanes in between the weeds. That's, yeah, that's a lot of fun. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Waters West Fly Fishing Outfitters is your go-to resource for spay and swung fly techniques for the OP and beyond. They're known for their deep selection of unique high-quality fly tie materials, and they are the gateway to some of the great steelhead rivers in the country. I was able to get out on the water with Ed, and it was an amazing day. We uh, hit the shop early, met him at the shop. We fired up the old vehicle and headed out on the river. Ed is the type of guy that you feel comfortable right from uh, minute one, and it was a good day. We ended the trip uh, for buying into this unimproved boat ramp, uh, pulling the boat out, and, and we ended up with a great opportunity uh, and landed a nice, very nice cromer and had a few other touches. Fished one of the great rivers in the country. It was amazing. Not only do they cover steelhead, but all species in the area, and they have a passion for all fish that swim up or live around salt. They can outfit any angler from the beginner to the most hardcore fishing bum you can imagine. They have a great online store, fast shipping, and uh, you will be supporting conservation when you support Waters Last. Please check in with Ed and Kyle right now to say hi and let them know you heard uh, from them on this podcast. And you can do that right now, wetflyswing.com slash waterswest. Now, just thinking back to your past, you've been doing this a while, and um, I always kind of, so one of the guys I think about is Denny Rickards a little bit, because I know him, you've probably heard of. How is Denny's thing different from what you or Phil does? Because he's kind of more like around the shoreline, right? Right. He is, and and the way that they fish that, you know, that area up there, the upper Klamath, they are more bait fish, and they are moving uh, that's what Danny teaches, and that's that's an awesome way is cover your water. That's what he teaches, and in that area, that's that's very effective. I like to anchor up. If I see fish moving, you know, and working in an area, I can always move to them. But generally speaking, I yeah, I like to be able to stand. I like to be able to cast. Not to say that I don't love to be in my float tube on some of the lakes that we can't take big boats. But uh, yeah, sixteen foot uh, Klamath. That's what I like to fish out of. A uh, good steady platform to cast out of, uh, you know, 
if you get into weather, you can get out of it quick too. Yeah, good, good. Nice. All right. Well, we've got some good tips here. What else do we, you know, again, we're thinking of setting up for this trip uh, in say mid-July, that little period there. What should I maybe bring that we haven't talked about? Any other tips or any other feedback here? As far as stuff to bring, you know, yeah, rain gear. <laughs> right, rain gear. <laughs> we, uh, you know, sometimes up here in the mountains, we get those dang afternoon showers and a lot of them we can fish through. Uh, some of them, they can turn, yeah, the lakes around here, they can turn them dangerous really quick. Right. If there's lightning, you're not staying out in the yeah. lake fishing, even yeah. on a good, I know I've had some of those days on some of our lakes where, you know, it comes in and you're like, man, the fishing just turns on and the fishing's great and it's hard to leave. Yeah, it is really hard to leave. Yeah. But that's like we were talking about earlier. Generally speaking, the worse the weather, the better the fishing. Yeah, is that the way it is? Is that pretty much just on still because, and why is that? Why the worse the weather? Because it, you're, the fish are hidden, they can't see you, or why is that? Yeah, I think they feel more secure when you, when you get some chop on the water like that. Now, if it gets too bad, then that shuts the bug life down. You know, the bugs can't hatch. But, you know, a, a real good example of that is Pyramid Lake in the winter. You know, we can go down there and we can have days when it's really pretty weather and you struggle hooking fish. And then the next day you'll have a front move in and the weather is crappy and it's snowing on you. And we hook fish after fish after fish. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's that's one lake. I think probably anybody that fishes that and, you know, the guys that I know that that spend a ton of time down there and work down there, that's what they say. You know, you you want bad weather, and that's when you're going to catch those fish. So, right, right, right. Yeah, that's just something that goes with Stillwater is is windy weather. Yeah, windy weather. How far is uh, Pyramid from you? Like drive time? Nine hours. Nine hours. There yep, you go. Yeah, it's yep. not too bad. Nine hours. Nope it's it's worth it. We'll we'll take probably oh six or eight trips this winter down there. Oh wow! Yeah, you you go down there a lot. We do. We. We, so there's just nothing going on in the winter up up where you're at. Yeah, yeah, everything's frozen up up here, and unless you like to ice fish, uh, and I, oh, right. I don't, I don't ice fish, so I don't know. Fishing and stomping my feet to stay warm isn't what I like to do. And then on the other hand, I'll go down and stand in cold water at Pyramid on a ladder and let it slap around me because you know you get a chance of catching one of those big thirty pound fish down there. God, I know. I still need to get down. That's my next wall. Oh, if you've not done that, Dave, yeah. you've got to do it. Yeah, yeah, Pyramid. For those that I think most people know, but yeah, you got the ladders, and that's pretty much the the kind of the unique thing about that area, these ladders. But it's just the, the chance for a gigantic, and then the cutthroat trout is unique, right? These gigantic cutthroat. Yeah, they're big. They're big fish. The only, the only problem with Pyramid is most of the good fishing is in the winter when the water is cold. You know, we always say if if those fish down there fought like the fish up at Henry's, <laughs> you'd not land one. You know, they just they, you hook a twenty pound fish that fish that fights like these fish around here, and they they'd rip you up. Now, when the water is warmer, yeah, opener is here in another couple of weeks, and that's a good time. But the fish are tougher to get to because they're not as close to the bank, and so you pretty much got to have a pontoon or or a float tube or a boat to get to them. Okay. Well, let's break out a few more tips. I think we're doing good. We're over 10 now. So let's see if we can get a few more. What else should we be thinking about? We're, we're out there, maybe Sheridan or Henry's Lake. You know, what else are you telling somebody to be thinking about? Well, I guess whether we're at Sheridan or Henry's or any place else in the country, if I think probably the number one advantage you can have as a stillwater fisherman is to tie your own bugs. I don't know how many guys have called. Well, I do. Six this year have called me. And said, "Hey, can I get you to tie me some of your bugs?" Oh, and, really? You know, it's 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 not that I don't want to help people because that's exactly what you know. Stillwater Fishing Co. is all about is is educating people and getting them to realize how much fun stillwater fishing is. But if I'm tying bugs for everybody, then <laughs> then I'm not spending yeah, not my fishing. time on the water exactly. But the the number one thing that I see about flies is I go into the fly shops and they are just they're too big, they're too gaudy, they're they're catching more fishermen than they are fish. Most of your still water stuff are thin and sparse. Right. Now, I'm not saying that every once in a while you don't find something like a dragonfly nymph or, you know, one of my pet flies that we call the dragon. Uh, we don't know what the heck it it looks like. Uh, it's kind of a woolly worm, woolly bugger maybe with a little bit of flash and it's got a short tail. But for some reason, those fish like it. And it's like Phil Raleigh says, he says, you know, there's bugs out there that 
imitate a certain bug, but then there's also flies that imitate nothing at all that are just suggestive. And those are very important in my fly box. Yeah. But that would be if, you know, if somebody wants to really get into this stuff, man, tie your own flies. Uh, not only, you know, when you throat pump a fish, you can see what the bug looks like. You're not having to depend on someone else. Now, granted, you know, it, it's, it's a hobby that, uh, can sometimes take a lot of time to be proficient and good at, but Dave, there is nothing, I don't think more satisfying than figuring out a puzzle and finding a bug that the fish are eating that you've tied you know, I, this is my pattern, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're in a group of, you know, five or six boats out there and you're the one that's catching fish and it's on a pattern that you designed, you know, that's, that's just way cool. That would be a great tip for anybody is, and it's a hobby that you can do when you can't fish. Winter is for tying bugs, you know. Well, and you don't lose a lot of the thing with the steel wire too. You're not losing a ton of flies, are you out there? No, I mean, there's some no. wood, but yeah. 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 This morning I lost one bug. Uh, you know, on, I'm sure it was just a stick or something on the bottom, but it, yeah, yeah, I lost one bug. So yeah, you don't lose a lot of them, but on the other hand, if you're not losing flies and if you're not hanging up on the bottom, you're not down where the fish are. So you're going to either be dragging up some pieces of moss and weed, or you're going to be losing some bugs or you're not fishing where the fish are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're not getting down deep enough. What's the um, the balanced leech? Is that something that you fish? Could you fish that with the? I'm not even familiar with how how you know Phil does it, but talk about that a little bit. It, you can fish the balanced leech with a retrieve. I've got you know I've got patterns that are just straight patterns that aren't balanced that I prefer better. But I've also got a whole box of balanced stuff for yeah for when when we have to use an indicator. Oh, okay. So with the balanced leech is really indicator specific. It is. Yeah, it is. It's you know most of our most of the bugs in the still water are going to be moving in that horizontal path. Uh, you know, they're, I mean, if they're rising up to the, the surface, they're going vertically, but most of them that are moving are going to be in that horizontal path. And that's why the balance stuff works so good is under an indicator, the old style, you know, they were hanging vertically now with a balance style, they're hanging horizontal like they're supposed to. And they're, yeah, they're much more effective that way. Wow. That's cool. You mentioned the, uh, the throat pump. I remember I was, uh, on the lake up in Canada with Phil, we were on the same boat and he was he caught a fish and it was one of the first ones and he pulled out the throat pump and uh, and he demonstrated how to do it and it was really cool i hadn't done it in a while and i got a video of it and then i put the video on instagram and like instantly i got like a bunch of uh, you know a few comments that were just like oh this is like this is bad no you know cuz so it looks like people some people that haven't seen it, it looks like you're really doing some pain talk about that is the throat pump okay to do to the fish is it hurting him Oh, very much so. Very much so. And that's, it's a key to figuring out not only what the fish are feeding on, but what they're feeding on right then. Otherwise you can pump stuff out of a fish's stomach and it could be what he was eating yesterday. You know, basically it's not really pumping their stomach. You want to pump their esophagus. You want what they ate in the last hour so you can see what they're feeding on. You know, and if, if you, you take a throat sample like that and you do it right, it doesn't harm that fish whatsoever none whatsoever yeah. can you describe kind of how you do that it's like a little bulb uh, syringe type thing right yep yep it looks like a miniature turkey baster and and what i do is i i get the whole thing wet and i squeeze some water in and out of it just so that everything is is wet and lubricated and then a throat on a fish if you gently push it in you can feel it when it starts to to kind of grip around it that's when you know that you're in the right place and you just, you put it down in there with the bulb pressed in. So it's, it's depressed. And then as soon as you get past that little suction point on the fish's esophagus, release that bulb and it'll suck what's right there in that esophagus out. And then, you know, you gently let the fish go and he's happy, maybe hungry, but he's still happy. Yeah. And you've got a, a sample of what he's been feeding on. Right. There you go. And that's it. And the fun thing is, is if that those samples are moving, then you know that that's exactly what he's eating right now. Wow. Yeah, that's it. God, so you know, yep. So then take a look at it, throw it in a little white container with some water. Yep. And then you can see, and typically, and what are you going to see if you did a, a throat pump like that, typically on a lake, say this Henry's Lake or Henry's or Sheridan, what might you see? What's that going to look like? 
Well, depending on the, the time of the year that we're going to be having this school, if you throat pump something at Sheridan, you're going to find lots of chronomids. You are going to find a few of the, our early damsels coming off in July. Uh, and you're going to find uh, some of the caddis, maybe a, a few of your uh, you know different mayfly uh, species that come off there. But yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, bloodworms are a big staple of fish up here. Uh, early in the year at Sheridan, there's, yeah, will throat pump fish that will be just clear full of nothing but little, you know, half inch long little blood worms. Gotcha. Yeah, little blood worms. Cool. Right on. And, uh, well, let's say we are, and you fish Sheridan. Have you fished Sheridan a little bit? You bet. You bet. I fished Sheridan quite a bit earlier in the year because that's where I do my clinics. Oh, okay. Because it's private water, we can do our clinics there. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's just, there's plenty of room. Uh, we're not having to worry about you know, it getting overused and different things like that. So it's a great little reservoir to teach. Yeah. 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 So that's where we're going to be. So what will that look like on day one when we get out there? We'll probably, uh, we're going to have, like you say, you're sitting in the pines right now. You're in the lodge, which yeah, is this really yeah. amazing lodge. They're going to have a uh, super awesome food. We're going to have all the, you know, the drinks, it's just going to be an experience, but you know, day one, we're going to be heading out to the lake after breakfast, probably. And what take us there? What's that going to be like? Is that about like a twenty minute drive or so? Yeah, it is. It's about twenty minutes. Uh, we drive down, and uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. What's what's really cool is when you drive up to it, there is a just a gargantuous mansion that looks mm. out over the lake uh, that's only used like a week out of the year. But it's oh, really? here's a good one for you, Dave. It's got seventeen bathrooms in it. What? Yeah. Who owns this? Is this like uh, is this Donald Trump? Yeah, no, yeah, no. The the gentleman that owns Sheridan Creek Ranch is Frank Vandersloot. He owns Melaleuca, uh, which is a, a wellness company here in Idaho. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's huge. But yeah, he's the one that went in and and bought it several years ago and and told the stream restoration company to make it better than anything they've ever done before. And oh, wow. it's an amazing place, but yeah, we're going to go out there. And of course the very first thing that we're going to do is make sure the guys can cast good. And then we'll teach them the basics as to, you know, when you pull up to a new lake, what are you seeing? You know, use your senses. And that's, that's another one of my tips is when you're out on a lake, you know, generally speaking, it's, it's quiet. And if there's people around you and there's somebody catching fish, you know, listen to what they're saying. Take a pair of binoculars. And I've had more than one guy say, what are you looking at? You know, well, I'm watching you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with a pair right. of binoculars. You can, a lot of times you, I mean, you can tell how, if when he makes a, a cast, if that, the bug, if it splashes big, you know, he's using a bigger bug. If you can't see it splash, he's probably using something small. It's easy to watch and see how long he's counting it down before he starts to retrieve. You know, there's all kinds of things that you can learn by watching other guys, especially if they're the ones that are being successful. Yeah. You know, nothing aggravates me more than being on a lake and not being able to catch the fish that other guys are. And so like Phil says, never quit learning. Man, there's, if I see somebody that's catching fish and I'm not, I'm not so bashful that I won't go up to him and say, geez, what are you doing that I'm not? And on the other hand, if I have people come up to me and ask me that, I want them to have a good time. There's nothing better than seeing somebody that you've helped all of a sudden solve that puzzle, and they're the ones that are giggling and hee-hawing because they're hooking fish. Yeah, yeah. When everybody's hooking fish, that's oh, kind of a cool place to be, right? You bet. That's a good feeling. Better than just one boat hooking fish, nobody else's. It's better when everybody's hooking fish. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, granted, I won't lie. You know, we get a lot of tourists up here, and we get a lot of people that come in here and, and figure, you know, we're on Henry's Lake. This is world-renowned. This isn't going to be a problem. And then they realize this is the major league of stillwater fishing. These fish yeah. aren't just going to swim up and jump in your boat. You know, they're tough fish to catch. But once you figure that puzzle out, oh, it can be so fun. Yeah. That's kind of why it's fun, right? I mean, it's like a lot of these species, the musky, you know, permit, some of these things that are the, the hardest fish to catch, but that is kind of why you do it, right? Yeah, and that's one of the biggest problems I have with the wet fly swing is every week I listen to something and I have to <laughs> add something else to my bucket list. Right. I, now I got to go fish that. Now I got to go chase that's right. that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I know. It's, uh, I started this thing thinking like, yeah, this is, I'm going to be getting around all over the place. But then you realize like, wow, yeah, there's no way in, no way in hell am I ever going to get around to everything. Yeah. You know, that's, that's like up in this area, you know, I would love to go down into California and fish upper Klamath and Crowley Lake and everything else like that. But 
I'd love to go to BC or up into Canada and fish some of that stuff. And, but we've got so many good waters down here. It's just hard to, to justify traveling a long ways when you've got really good fishing right here too. I know. Yeah, it's pretty good. And that's part of the thing, you know, why this is so cool. You know, we're doing this, we're doing a Euro school thing, which is amazing. And now this Stillwater thing, and it's just this part of the world, you know, and the dry flies, right. This part of the country is just, it's one of those spots. And like you said, you got the Madison, not very far away. It's, I don't know if it's the mountains, if it's the water, whatever it is, it's just one of those hot spots for, for trout fishing. This is the golden circle for trout fishing this area. So yeah, it, it's going to be a blast when those guys come up here, you know, and it's not just, it's not just the still water, but it's just, yeah, the whole area is just really cool. Yeah. I can't wait. It's going to be fun because we're going to be sitting there, you know, not too long. We're going to be sitting there with a the beverage at these log, you know, at these amazing cabins, kind of hanging out. You know what I mean? It's going to be a good time. Having a couple of fly tying vices out and having yep. everybody around and watching Phil tie. And I'm sure there's going to be other guys that, you know, that are going to be very proficient at this. And yeah, it, it's fun to see, you know, like Phil says, never quit learning. And this is, I think stillwater fly fishing is probably the frontier of fly fishing right now. You mm. know, Euronymphing is, is running its course and it's, it's ran big. And one of the biggest advantages with fishing lakes and reservoirs and ponds is they just don't get the pressure that the rivers do. You know, like we've been mentioning, we've got these wonderful world-class ribbon, blue ribbon trout streams around here. But sometimes, I mean, they get so crowded that it takes the fun out of it. This morning, the parking lot at Henry's had 17 boat trailers in it. And I saw four other guys fishing around me, you know, so generally speaking, you can go on a still water and find plenty of water to be all by yourself. Or if you want to fish the marquee places, you know, there's certain etiquettes that make it fun for everyone. And it's, that's simple. Yeah, it is. It is. No, this is going to be, this is going to be perfect. And maybe give us one more tip as we get out of here, because I think we're pretty close to 15. We might already be over it, but what else? You got one more big tip that you think somebody's up there and they, you know, that's always the thing. They're struggling to get that fish. What are you telling somebody? Uh, be patient. Oh, yeah. And the other thing that I would say is when you think you're deep enough, go a little bit deeper. Last week, we were fishing an area here at Henry's that has got some really good lanes in the weeds. And I was fishing with a hover line, and I was only in seven feet of water, and so, I, but I was using a smaller bug. And I kept counting it down to 30, and I knew that there were fish working around me because I could see them. And uh, my son was the one that says, Dad, let's lengthen our leader a little bit and count it down a little bit deeper. And then we started picking up fish. We were counting it down to 45, but we'd gone from 11 foot of leader to 14 feet. And so that plays with, you know, not only the action of your fly, but the time that it takes for that bug to sink. And it allowed us to go with a little bit slower retrieve because our bugs weren't sinking as fast. And again, there's, there's so many pieces to that puzzle that it could be, you could have the right bug, you can have the right depth and you need to change your retrieve a little bit or vice versa. Maybe you're at the right depth and you've got the right retrieve, but your bug needs to be different. So, you know, there's just so many different things, but once you get it figured out, then the reward Right. How do you change your retrieve? Like if you're talking about that as you're walking, let's say, you know, you got your change your bug, you got your depth. Let's say you think you're at the right depth and you think you have the right bug. um, Then what would you be changing your retrieve to find them? Yeah. Generally speaking, when I first start, like I said earlier, my basic standard start retrieve is about an eight inch strip. And between that, it probably takes four seconds to do a strip and the pause and go back up. And so it's, that's the basic, the way I start. Now, when the fish are really fussy, then I have to be my bug. Otherwise, if I'm a bug and I've watched little damsels moving and I've watched cronies and all of these different bugs, if you, if you observe them and any good fisherman or anybody that's good at anything that they do, know their sport. So know your bugs, know how they move. My first thing is if my eight inch strip isn't working, then I'm going to go back to where I enhance my pause. Otherwise, the time between I'm moving my fly, I'm going to let it pause a little bit and let that sink. Because then when I start my retrieve again, it's going to pull it back up a little bit. And that's more movement. Okay, so varying your retrieve. Another favorite retrieve I've got is doing a just a quick little strip, about three inch strips, but do three of them and then let it pause. 
and then do three and then let it pause. Just don't be the same all the time. Nothing in nature is uniform. Nothing is the same. And so vary your retrieve. And a lot of times that's all you've got to do is vary it. Gotcha. Wow. And you can vary it just between casts, right? You can make a cast do one retrieve and then the next cast, would you switch it up and do a completely different retrieve? You bet. Until you find the retrieve that those fish want. And then as soon as you find it, then yeah, then it's a no-brainer. You don't have to change. <laughs> Depth retrieve pattern, right? Yep. And and how so if again, let's take it back to you're to a new lake, you're out there, you're in what you think is the the water where there are some fish, and you're you're dropping it down to how, talk about that. How do you first get to that right level? How do you know, you know, you throw on a fly you think is gonna work, and then how do you know what level to get to? Generally speaking, I'm gonna start and I'll I'll go in five second increments. Otherwise I'll start with a twenty second countdown. If I don't pick up anything or if I don't get weeds, then I'm gonna go to twenty-five. And then I'll go to 30. Now, as soon as I start picking up weeds, then I know that my bug is getting down too deep. Okay, so then I've got to either speed up my retrieve, use a longer leader, or I've got to, you know, not give it as much time to sink. So generally speaking, once you find, you know, what countdown they are, then you can be consistent. If you're doing it in your head, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. That's fine. You're getting a good ballpark of what you're doing. Otherwise, if all of a sudden you're picking them up at 20. But generally speaking, if you take a watch and you look at how accurate you are in your 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000 countdown, you're not very consistent. And that's that's why, you know, that's another tip is your part of your equipment should be – a. I mean, this cheap little Timex watch I've got on, I've probably had for 30 years. I've changed bands I don't know how many times, but it's just, you know, it's got a stopwatch on it, and that that makes it so I can count it down and be consistent. Right, and consistent. Cool. All right, Darren. Well, I think we'll leave it there for this one, and and I think we'll send everybody out now. It's uh, it's Stillwater. uh, Tell us again the best website there to send them out to. Yeah, Stillwater Fishing Co. And Stillwater is S-T-L-W-T-R. So it's still water without valves. So yeah, stillwaterfishingco.com. Uh, you can also get a hold of me at huntsmanoutdoors at yahoo.com. And uh, yeah, it's fun to get a bunch of emails and stuff from people that have got questions. Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, we answer all kinds of questions on there. And it's just, that's what makes it fun is taking something that I enjoy so much and being able to make it so that it's not as frustrating. We don't want people to get frustrated at it. No. We want them to be successful because that's when they're they're having fun. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do that this uh Oh, we're going to have a doing. We're going to have some fun, aren't we? <laughs> yep. And they'll learn more in those three days than they will in five years of struggling by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just give a shout out to that. So we're doing a... Uh, so it's going to be four nights at the lodge. We're going to have three days fully guided fishing. And uh, and we're going to be talked about the waters we're going to be fishing. And we're just going to walk them through. It's going to be step by step. This is the Stillwater School. Um, and Phil has been out in that area as well. So, yeah, I think, I think anybody that is going to come to this is going to come away basically probably feeling, you know, like a whole other level, right, once they get done with the school. Oh, absolutely. Their confidence will be... Yeah, at a completely different level because now they'll be able to go to a lake and not feel intimidated because that's the number one thing that people do. They pull up into a lake and it's like, wait, there's no riffles, there's no runs, there's no overhanging brush. Where do I find fish? And, and it's everything. Yeah, you pull up to a lake and you're like, okay, you know, it's always the same thing. You know, God, this lake, where do I fish? And then you're like, okay, what fly do I put on? And then, okay, how deep? Just like we talked, death pet. It's these things. So that's the thing. So people are going to be able to now go to any lake. And have a plan and be able to basically step-by-step step figure out how to catch fish. You bet. You bet they'll be able to pull up to a lake and it's not going to be any different than if they're in the back pocket of myself or with Phil. You know, what are we looking at? You know, what what do we use to be successful when we pull up to a lake that we're not used to? And that's, yeah, that's what we want to teach. And and besides that, we're, we're going to do what we always do when we fish and that's have fun. Yeah, perfect. Well, We'll let everybody go out. Uh, it'll be wetflyswing.com slash giveaway will be the place where people can go and right now actually enter to win this trip. So we're going to be giving away one trip like we always do. And there's a big prize pack. So I think we got a, uh, oh, we got a couple of Stillwater rods. I think we got uh, the Mystic. We're giving away a Mystic rod. I think we got Echo has a reel. 
Uh, it's the full deal. So whoever wins this is going to be walking on uh, having some new gear. But also, we're going to be having a trip probably, you know, probably six to ten people that are going to be heading out to that neck of the woods to uh, to hang out. Uh, they're going to they're going to learn a ton. They're going to have a blast. Uh, they're going to catch some fun fish. And, you know, the fun thing about it is they get to fish with us. I mean, it's not like we're going to go out there and, and tell them what to do. They get to see, you know, what Phil and I do when we're in a boat. You know, that's what I love to do. If I first time we went down to Pyramid, we wanted a guided trip, but we didn't want to be guided. We wanted those guys to come fish with us. You know, we know how to fish. We just want to see how you guys do it. And that's what we want to yeah. do is we want to teach people how to catch fish. Nice, Darren. All right, this is perfect. We will uh, leave it there. And uh, thanks again for all the time today and the tips. I think we got a nice list together. We're definitely are over 15, so so we'll have a, probably a PDF. And I think we might even put together some sort of a, a little document on the website at theschoolfishing.co where we're going to have that as well. Until we uh, meet again, Darren, thanks again. You bet. Uh, you have a good day. I'm going to go get my fanny back on Henry's. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. 